You know what this is? Oh, I still haven't listened. Fuck, I forgot about it. <laughs> Damn. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. Ah, I forgot you sent that to me. Visualist Podcast, episode 84. Yep, I probably did. Um, Visualist at gmail.com. Nah, I did. Uh, at Visualist. Um, on Instagram, the guys still got the Instagram going nuts. Um, <laughs> shout out to, uh, our mutual friend from Ohio who, uh, who came across the, the podcast and Instagram recently went through and liked all of our, like, I think literally every photo in there, which was amazing. Cause I, I pulled up Instagram. I got, I was like 84 likes and I assumed it was a Greg photo <laughs> that I just put up that, <laughs> <laughs> got 84 likes but, that would make sense yeah but no uh he, uh he had liked like all of them so shout out to him um that was excellent uh was that fresh eats fresh fresh street i think it is fresh street yeah fresh street yeah sorry about that shout out to fresh street um yeah. fresh street well, it is. have you had fresh street um eats when he was in ohio yeah the shit was delicious Awesome, awesome, man. Uh, next time he's out in San Diego now, is that right? Yep. Okay, next time, San Diego, excellent beach culture. Um, Fourth of July marshmallow fights. That's all I got on it. <laughs> That's real. <laughs> Haven't we talked about this on the podcast? Maybe people not. Have, people have marshmallow fights. Yeah. So on the Fourth of July, there's one beach. I think it's it's out in a neighborhood called Ocean Beach, at, at least. I'm not sure if it's every beach, but it's at least out in Ocean Beach. Um, uh, they On the 4th of July, they launched the, the fireworks off from this pier that's out into the ocean. And after that, like right up, people sneak in bags of like marshmallows, like the bigger marshmallows. Okay. Like under their shirt. And then once you, um, once the fireworks end, the, the marshmallow war begins and you just start chucking marshmallows at everyone you could see and like two it's sort of like the dodgeball thing where there's like two sides that sort of naturally develop all right and there's like kids there's like grown people there's like you know the hipster doofuses like myself and my buddies um that was that was out there um because my my west coast friend now lives in seattle lived in san diego for a while and so i would go visit him what size? I've never told Minis you. or like the big ones? No, the big boys. Huh. Just hucking them at people. Oh, it's so much fun. And like, <laughs> I like the group we were with was some people from there, obviously. And like, they didn't even tell us about this until we were on the way over. They made us like, pit stop. We get there. I see them like, well, no, I see them like pull these bags of marshmallows out from under their shirt. <laughs> when we got to the beach. So I'm like, whoa, what? It, okay, hold on. I'm like, <laughs> hold on, first hold of all, on. if it's just s'mores, <laughs> which is my first thought, like, why are we concealing them? Um, and apparently, there, it, there is, it's, it's sort of quasi tolerated by the like city officials. Like, they don't love it because it's a big mess to clean up in the morning. Yeah. And I guess a lot of, I think there is a good contingent of people who do volunteer to go back the next morning and clean up. Okay. Like just people who participate. 
but it's still like not officially tolerated or like officially approved, I guess, but it is tolerated. So, I mean, I mean, this was like close to 10 years ago, so I'm not sure if it's still a thing, but. Huh. I know. Never. That's interesting. Um, yeah. Well, on, on that note, let's get into trifling in NYC. Um, I understand you, you had an incident, uh, you were flying West. Yeah. I was, uh, I was flying West. Plane. On a- <laughs> Indeed, I was. So, um, flying west to the Grand Canyon. Nice. Um, and I boarded my plane. Again, did I talk to... Oh, no, I think that was my jury duty story where I saw these people and I was like, man, I hope I don't have to be on jury duty with them or sit next to them. And then they were on jury duty. So something <laughs> similar happened here. I saw this group of ladies sitting in the waiting uh-huh. area and they were like i don't know i was supposed well, so i had to fly into las vegas so they were a group of like middle-aged women and it looks uh-huh. like they were just going out for fun times it's like man i hope i'm not sitting next to them or near them <laughs> like a bachelorette party group or something no they were older than that it was just like fun times you know like they get together mm. like once a year and they go on some fun trip like something like right. that. Ladies who, but ladies they, who they were just having too much fun in the in the waiting area. And what I, were they doing? Yeah, like nothing bad. They were just enjoying themselves, you know, like talking and laughing. <laughs> and I just so what I was just, your issue with that? You know, I'm like you on the plane. I just don't want to be bothered. Like I want to get in there, yeah. either sleep, listen to what I want to listen to, or if they got the in flight entertainment, watch some terrible movie that I'm not going to watch otherwise. <laughs> exactly yeah like tremors tremors five yeah that's all i want i watched godzilla king of the monsters man like i <laughs> it was perfect plane movie i fell asleep woke up rewound it finished watching it like nice um so i sit down i get in so the plane boards um and i lost track of the ladies but i sit down i'm in the middle which is fine like whatever with care and look up who's there coming next to me one of the ladies <laughs> she's like wait you're in the middle seat yeah and that was oh, the first no. one yeah so then she oh, goes oh no. she says are you uh what did she say exactly dang now i remember it was something like are you are you sitting there? Like, are you supposed to be sitting there? Something about my seat. And I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, this, <laughs> this, is my, my, this is my seat. Oh, God. She's already talking to you? Yes. She's like, okay. So oh, she sits no. There. She's like, well, I'm supposed to be sitting in the window, but I like to sit in the aisle so I can stretch my legs out. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's cool. I like to. So it had nothing out. to do with you, but okay. Yeah. Okay. Like, I like to do that too. That's cool. And I just let it go. But she had that look like she wanted to keep talking. But I, you know, I was like, <laughs> please, I, I'm yeah, not. That look. Yeah, you know it. You know that airplane seat look. That they just want to. I know the look. I I, can, I know the, the type of breath they take in before they're about <laughs> to launch into roping you into their life. So she sat there and then she goes, after that bit of conversation, she's like, well, whoever comes, I, well, maybe no one will come for the aisle seat. I was like, yeah, maybe not. It's like, but if they do come, I'm going to, I'm going to talk to them and maybe I can switch seats so I can stay on the aisle. 
Okay. Oh, so so she just sat down in the aisle, knowing it's not her seat. Yes. Yes. Was she stretching her legs as people were like trying? Well, to her leg was kind of out, but not like completely out that it was obstructing anyone. Okay. Um. So. For a while, it goes on like this for a while. Like her, well, not like this exactly. She stopped talking because I stopped responding, and then, um, right. and then, <laughs> and then someone comes. This young lady, she's like, "Oh, that's my seat." The woman's like, "Oh, perfect." Would you? You're on the perfect. aisle, right? She's like, "Yeah." Well, would you like to sit by the window? Because I like the aisle where I can stretch. And this young lady's like, "Oh God." <laughs> Let that be me in the young lady's place. So young lady goes, no, I picked the aisle seat for a reason because I want to sit on the aisle. So, so that's my seat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. And so the older woman was clearly disappointed, but you know, she was going to, she was going to respect it. And she starts, you know, gathering her things. And then someone behind goes in the aisle seat behind. Oh, you don't, you don't want to sit by the window. Okay. Chiming in, chiming in from the, <laughs> from the macro. Oh, I'll switch seats with you because I just want to be by the window and fall asleep. Okay. Okay. So, well, that's not bad. No, that's not so bad. So then they switched. It, so then they pulled the switch. The only inconvenience was I actually had to physically get up out of my seat so this other woman could get to the window. But yeah. I wasn't, you know, fully in yet because the plane hadn't taken on. So then she moved, and um, that part was fine. And then they got in, and everything was good. That woman sat by the window. I don't know how she did it, but she managed, this grown woman managed to put her entire body on the seat, feet and all. Like, everything was curled up into the seat. Wait, like, like the woman a in the aisle? No, the woman, the woman in next to that switch, yeah. The woman oh, the so, so the one Somehow. who wanted the window seat yeah. was bunched up against like, she the curled, like cat, you said? Like, folded all the way up into the seat. Like a cat, you said? I did say like a cat. <laughs> like a cat, you say? It's our new catchphrase. So, so that was good. Um, a terrible catchphrase. <laughs> like a cat? Like a cat. You said. Um, okay, we gotta stop. Please move on. So that was that was it, pretty much. Um, but thankfully, okay. so this woman was sitting apart from her group. Her group was farther up. Mm-hmm. You um, hear and I was, I couldn't, um, but they kept coming back one at a time to chat and talk with her. What? So I was actually pretty happy that I wasn't sitting next to her. Like I could overhear some of it, but it would have been real annoying if that was happening right next to me. You mean, so they yeah. would come back every now and then and like have a laugh, have a chit chat. I don't know exactly what they were saying because I had my headphones in and I just look up and see where they were going. It's like, oh, again? Again? So, so you're saying that, like, if so, the woman who wanted to stretch out that was with the group, if she had sat in her normal window seat, you think they still would have come up and talked to her, and they would have talked past you? Who knows, man? <laughs> Any, anything is possible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess it's a, it's, it's still, it seems like a win-win-win for the the three people who were playing. Musical I would say chairs. so. Every, everybody got the seat that they really wanted. Yeah. I mean, presumably not you by ha- having a middle seat, but I was all right with it. Whatever. Yeah. Well, I you've reminded me now of of my recent trip out to Seattle, where I, I may have said this on the podcast, maybe not, but I was in a middle seat, and in the waiting area as well, like there was 
a mom and dad and two young girls which is fine you know they were like the, the mom looked kind of like um like tired already it was early in the morning and uh and i she like i could see like between right like not not really looking forward to wrangling two young girls who were kind of still had had a lot a lot of energy for like a six-hour flight but Oof. um anyway but they were fine in in the waiting area but it, it wasn't until we got on the plane and I was in the middle seat, so I'm already miserable. And then uh, they sit right behind me, the mom, the dad, the two girls. And one girl was so young that they had the mom had her on her lap, right? Mm. And that baby that must have been like one year old cried like four hours straight. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not not. Did I not tell you this? no four it was hours? like so it's like a five and a half hour flight that baby cried i'm not even joking like four hours straight like high-pitched baby crying and and i haven't sat next to a baby in a long time it was it was right behind me but i was like it, it got to the point where i was like i was literally thinking no joking they might have to turn this plane around or they might have to land it in like chicago because this baby will just not stop crying. And the mom and dad weren't doing anything. They're going to have to turn this around. <laughs> turn the plane around. <laughs> Baby's upset. Well, I'm thinking of like the uh, the mom and dad in a, in a car with a kid. Where I'll turn this car around. Right. <laughs> I guess it would make more sense to land as opposed to going all the way back to New York. If you're That's over it. Chicago. <laughs> uh... But man, it was like, and I was groggy, of course, because I think it was like a 7 a.m. flight or something stupid like that. But man, yeah, that was so yeah, like. that would not have worked out. Like there were some crying babies on the way back for me, but it was uh, the red eye, the overnight. So I was asleep immediately. I woke up every now and then they'd be crying and I just went back to sleep. No, I, there was no sleeping to be had by anyone on this, in this immediate area of the plane because. And, like, the dad, the weird thing is, like, the mom and dad weren't really doing anything to, like, because, you know, you can get up and, and sort of walk with the baby up and down the aisle, sort of shush, 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 sort of, like, put a iPad in front of them with something, some bright colors. They weren't doing any of that. It was just, like, I think they might have even been, I, I didn't look back to see, but they might have even just watching a movie with headphones. So, oh, I think I maybe tried to black this that black out this memory because it was so. Oh my god, I and I was like, like the flight attendant did come up a couple times and was like, "Are you okay?" To Child you, okay. oh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that would have been nice, but no, they said that to the mom and dad. Like, I was like, "What were you doing?" <laughs> Looking like really uncomfortable the whole time. <laughs> Probably like. I don't know. It's like, uh, yeah. I, well, let's move on to my my originally planned trifling in NYC. That wasn't it. Um, and actually, it's it's more of an upbeat one. It's not. Oh, it's, okay. It's a po- positive one. You know, it's not not all negativity and like and rain here in New York um, in 2019. Uh, this happened um, on the subway. On my way home from work this past Thursday, um, and oh, what was I doing? Um, I think I had, 
I was, I was, I didn't have enough money on my Metro card, right? All right. So I, I get in uh, my usual subway stop, uh, swipe the card, insufficient fare. Oh God. Look up at the timer, count on clock, four minutes. Okay, great. Plenty of time, right? Yeah, that's, go, you can do that. Yep. Go over to the uh, machine. Um, do the refill card option. Boop, boop, boop. Uh, <laughs> shout out to Firestarters. Oh, buddy. I just realized that. <laughs> shout out Firestarters. Okay, boop, boop, boop. Pressing the buttons. Unfortunately, this one particular screen, and I've had this issue before at this station. Um, it's on the six line. Um, the, the screen is not re- not responsive. So you're, you're pressing the zero on the screen, and it's okay. not... It's not registering it. The system is registering it. So I'm trying to add, I think, like like $20 or something. So I got the two, but then it's, I'm trying to press the zero, and nothing's happening. So normally, you would go so to... All, no. all the, just that one section of the screen is not responsive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I tried to... like So the two works. It's just down by the zero. Nothing's working down there. And I'm typing it. Now, normally situation like this you just go to another machine right fortunately the other two machines were being emptied by the mta staff that takes the money the Uh, cash from the machine and and in fact both of the other machines were being emptied at the same time they're both um you know there's armed guards that that are what that watch them while they're doing it yeah so that was happening so i i tried a couple different things like canceling the order um i look in my pocket i only had a dollar cash on me so i'm like no it's gonna have to be credit and i knew um swiping the card was gonna be an issue um oh no sorry oh fuck i i spoiled i spoiled it i was eventually able to so what i think what i did is i i typed like 22 instead of 2200 the o is at the at the bottom right right at the top i just like typed like 250 255 like 2 255 right because i just need enough money to get on this one i'll work this out somewhere else right oh gotcha gotcha gotcha, gotcha. so i type in the amount yeah thank you um you said like a cat it was a good uh, plan. i did cat? not I, I just said it was a good plan okay. no, cats uh, no cats yeah fewer cats need to be involved in my life um so I go in, like, I only, there's a swipe, right? So I have a credit card. I only have a dollar cash swipe. But the problem was I couldn't, like, usually I have to move to the side to get a good angle on the swipe in, swipe out. Do you know this? Okay. No. Have you ever had this issue? Like, the swipe in, the, the swipe, the card swipe acceptor thing is often kind of loose or janky at a lot of these things just from overuse. You know, it's a busy city. They get used a lot. Fine. They're still pretty good considering that, but sometimes like there'll be a, the card will catch on a little something in there and then it, it won't read. So the okay, problem, yeah. So I've gotten it down to a science where if I can stand at a certain angle, like usually just to the left of the card reader and sort of, sort of um, hunker down, get, get in like a, not a, like a two point stance with my legs <laughs> and I can get some good, good leverage on the swipe. And I have a, I have a muscle memory. <laughs> good in and out swipe i can get it but i couldn't do that okay (laughs) i couldn't do that this time because the security guard is right there because they were emptying the the machine okay so so i'm trying to left hand it 
on the card swipe and i can't i'm all uh, all uh, out of sorts like i can't it's like it's like you it's like trying to shoot like a, a right-handed player trying to shoot with the left hand that they don't practice with it'd be like me trying to shoot a basketball with my left hand today and oof. <laughs> yeah exactly oof oh boy <laughs> and so i couldn't get it and so now the countdown clock's down to one minute that's how long all this... Oh, yeah, I forgot you kept this, the clock going against <laughs> yeah, Countdown right. clock is working against me. So I'm like, oh, shit. And, like, I look over at it. It's one minute. I'm like, okay, I still got some time because it flashes... Yeah. At zero minutes, it flashes orange. And then you actually still have some time before the train starts. So I, just, I keep swipe, swiping. It says, sorry, we can't read your card. Sorry, we can't read your card. Over and over. And then the the one of the guards next to me, he starts noticing my predicament and he's just kind of looking at me. He didn't say anything. And then I look back at the clock and now it's orange zero, zero minutes. And I can hear the train <laughs> approaching and I still can't get, I can't get any leverage on this fucking card, this fucking card reader. And so I, I, I say out loud, I'm like, God damn it. If I miss the fu- this fucking train, like oh. kind of muttering to myself, muttering to myself <laughs> and the guard is like, "Hey, don't worry about it. Come on." And he walks me up to the um to the gate. He swipes me in with his like special MTA card. And he's like, "I'm like, oh, sweet. Thanks, man. Like that that's great." Yeah. And he's like, he swipes me in. He see he saw my predicament. He registered it. It's very New York predicament. He said, "You know what, buddy? I got your back." And oh. and he did. And he swiped me in, caught the train, no problem. Um, nice guy. And I think that. I think even the wait for the next train was like eight minutes or something, which you know that can be super annoying, especially after you've missed the first train. So he swiped me in. Now this wouldn't be a visceral story or a New York story without a little hook at the end. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I know this is like a nice happy ending. Oh, all right. <laughs> well. <laughs> Well, you know, and this isn't that bad, actually. So he's like, yeah, 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 no problem, buddy. Um, Just when you get to the next station, make sure you add some money to the card and re-swipe it so that you still still pay for the trip. (laughs) That's so stupid. (laughs) Why would he even say that? Right? Which I'm like, do you, like, officially have to say that? But it, but even if your even if you do, like there's no one around because everyone's like getting ready to get on the train. So I was like, I get like the thought that I would get off at the next stop, <laughs> get on, get go through the turnstile, add money to the card, and come swipe back on. through. Yeah, so that I'm paying for an official swipe. Like he couldn't, it couldn't just be out of the goodness of his heart. It couldn't just be, like, an official MTA courtesy for, like, someone who's having difficulties. It's just like, no, you still, we still got to get that money off you, partner. (laughs) Come on, come out your, still coming out your pockets over here. Welcome to New York. Oh, damn. Yeah, he didn't have to say all that. (laughs) Is that, do you know? Maybe he had to say it because his partner was there. I mean, they were, they were there, but they weren't within earshot of like the machines were far enough away from the gate that they wouldn't have heard anything he said. Um, 
So maybe that's just how he is, you know. It could be, yeah. Just buy the book and everything. I I guess I don't know. Have you encountered that this issue with the? I guess either the the screen not working or the the swipe swipe not working. Um, the swipe. Yeah, one time I I tried it. It was all the way blocked. Like something was in there. Oh shit! My card just like swiped and hit. Um, but yeah, no one has ever tried to give me any assistance before actually mm-hmm. so that's very unique um situation that happened to you i would say yeah i mean i've never heard of that. i've seen people like this is a station that i i don't know if it's notorious for this but i've certainly oftentimes seen people either hop the hop the gate the turnstile or there's a little move that's a little bit more clever where you you walk in you sort of mime swiping a card and you can sort of work your body around yeah, the turnstiles. Yeah, you can do the back, flip back a little bit towards you Yeah, slide in. That's right, yeah, yeah. The, the, flip slide, the flip slide maneuver. Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that move. Um, so I've seen that many times at, at this station, but um, obviously I wasn't going to do that <laughs> with the, the fuzz right there. With them right there. Yeah. Trying to slide on through. Yeah, good thing. Especially with that guy, he probably would have grabbed you by your neck. He might have thrown me in front of the train. Like that's what you get. <laughs> he had caught me. Damn! <laughs> Punishment, death. <laughs> Fucking Judge Dredd. <laughs> that's exactly what I was. Oh man, thanks for that. I couldn't. I couldn't remember his name. I was about to say Punisher. Uh... <laughs> well, the Punisher, yeah, it's kind of like that, yeah. <laughs> Judge yeah, Dredd is a, a Metro North cop throwing people in front of the. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. it didn't come to that, um, and it, all in all, it was still, you know, still good a good New York moment. I I say even with the the buy the book business, but yeah. And so I'm assuming you got off and and you you swiped for the purposes of this. Re- this recording that's being distributed internationally uh yes i did of course i got off paid uh and got back on the next train yeah like the good citizen you are i'm a good new york citizen Mm -hmm. and big fan of the subway too don't want to disrespect the subway i'm paying i knew you would do the right thing (laughs) yeah like a cat all right well let's move on to uh the main event uh this is, uh, I guess, sort in a way, sort of a return of our conspiracy segment um, after a long absence. This is Quite correct. This sort of maybe a, a bit of a sidebar to our usual conspiracy segment, where in which we just investigate an existing, well-known conspiracy. This, what we're going to be discussing today, is actually a British slash Allied um, covert operation that happened during World War II, went by the name of Operation Mincemeat. Uh, very, very British naming convention there. Um, <laughs> apparently, they have a, a list of names that are available for covert operations. Yeah, and, that was that was fascinating. <laughs> and this was just on the list. So, um, yeah, so we're going to get into it. Um, we'll say up top, this our information comes from Wikipedia, the Wikipedia entry on this source. Um, and you know, this covers World War II. It's very serious you know, time in human history, people take it seriously. We, of course, mean no disrespect at anything. We are going to be joking around about a little bit, a little bit of a lighthearted thing, but um, we just find this fascinating. It's a fascinating story, and we're just going to be getting into it. So, 
that is officially safely caveated, I think. Disclaimer. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so do you want to, why don't you just lay out the maybe like the key five or six bullet points of what this operation was, what its, what its intention <clears throat> was, what they aimed to accomplish, and just the basics, and then we'll, we'll get into it. The basics are... Like the basic outline. Yeah. World War II operation. I think it was in 1942, I believe. Um, was See, look, I already messed <laughs> um, It's all good. It was the Allied forces. Allied forces were um, doing a classic misdirection by misinformation. Mm-hmm. Um, so their main objective was to disguise where they were going to attack next by um, giving some bad information to the Germans by way of, you know, dropping off a body with bad information off the coast of Spain, hoping Mm -hmm. that, you know, the information would find its way to the Germans. Um, They wanted to attack Sicily. Mm -hmm. And the misdirection was that they were going, I think it was to the Balkans. What was it? Greece. Well, Hitler, I remember Hitler's like fixation on protecting the Balkans. They mentioned that like several times. And then they're, mm-hmm. like, they're like, he's like obsessed with them. He's like, I know they're coming for the Balkans. I know. Like, no matter what they did, he thought they were coming for the Balkans. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that sort of played into their hands. Um, but that, I guess that was the main information. Right? Yeah. Did I miss anything? Uh, no. Yeah. That's, that's the, that is definitely like, I always like, <laughs> If, if when people are like sometimes too talkative and I like I need a bit of information and there's certain people and there's not, not a problem really, but sometimes you need the information quickly and it's like, okay, there's one key answer and they'll start talking, going all over the place here and there, all going off on tangents. What I tell them is, um, can you summarize this in one sentence? <laughs> can and, you summarize it in one sentence? And that's essentially what you've done. So that, no, that was great. Um, yeah, the, was, I think I think the yeah the real beauty in this plan is the de- the, the details were outrageous. Yeah, and I, I I mean I came to this like I had never heard about it until like a year ago, and I was going through a phase with um, the writings of this author John Le Carre, who covers um, mostly he writes fiction. His his most famous book is Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. And he mostly covers British and versus uh, communist Russia um, spy works, basically, uh, in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Um, so this was an offshoot of that, I'm sure. I don't remember specifically how I came across this mission, but it sounded so weird just in the summary I read, which is essentially what you just outlaid, that I like. I had to read more detail. So just to, to, for the timeline, um, this took place just after the Allies had basically successfully um, won against uh, the Axis troops, or Axis army troops. Yeah, this were clearly... Forces. <laughs> clearly, forces. forces. Yeah. Um, apologies to any military historians who may be listening to this. I know you guys take this seriously, but... Um, we're, this isn't our area of expertise, so we're going to do doing as best as we can. Um, yes, yeah, so the the North African campaign campaign it was essentially over, having been won by the Allies. This is in early 1943, 
And it says before D-Day, the D-Day invasion of France that everyone knows about, saved in Private Ryan, etc. Um, this is before then, and essentially um, the British thought that um, this was a good opportunity to try to move into mainland Europe, and they wanted to go through Italy, um, and they were trying to decide the best the best ways of getting into there, getting the best staging area for what would become the invasion of Italy, which was one of the Axis forces. Axis forces, basically Italy and Germany at this time um, and at this front. And so they wanted to decide where is the best staging point? And they had two choices, basically. There was Sicily, which is an island just off the course, the coast of Italy, as we all know. It's the, it's the rock that the boot of Italy is kicking. That's a thing, right? Yeah, yeah, people say that. Okay. <laughs> or and the other choice was the Bal- was Greece and the Balkans, which is essentially just to the east of Italy um, across the Met- that little Mediterranean strait. So this includes Greece, um, like Bulgaria, Albania, uh, Croatia, um, that area, but just just to the east of Italy but before you get to Turkey, essentially. That's the Balkans. And so German intelligence military intelligence knew that the the allies were going to attack through either sicily or the balkans so they so they all knew that right everybody the brits knew they wanted to attack from there one of the two places the germans knew that the brits knew this of the brits right right so the key is key for the brits was making a decision on which one it would be either sicily or the balkans and then how to disguise this and uh, even better to divert, to trick Germany into thinking that it was going to be. So they ultimately, they ultimately decided on Sicily. Okay. So we'll jump to that. So the key point there, once they decided that is how to trick the Germans into thinking that they're actually going to go through the Balkans. Right. That's right. Some good old misdirection. Yes, and so this Wikipedia, like the Wikipedia article, starts with the, that basically that background, and they also talk about how there had been like this one of this the head generals or admirals in the British military um, had put a priority on um, deception and misdirection. Like this was one of the tactics they really wanted to focus on, just broadly speaking. Um, and that guy, his assistant happened to be Ian Fleming, um, who went on to write, um, the 007 James Bond novels. So this guy, his name is Chumley. It's pronounced, uh, it's Charles Chumley. And this is a very English name. I wanted to just stop and point this out (laughs) because did you see the way this name, this guy's name is spelled? I don't not it didn't stand out. So Chumley is like that's sort of like a common sort of like, you know, forties, fifties era British name, right? Hey, hey, say there, Chumley. Oh, that's pretty right? Yeah. <laughs> but the way this wait, name wait, is Wait, 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 wait a second. Wait a second. <laughs> that's how you say it? Yes. Where'd you yes. see that? Where'd you get the pronunciation from? I believe when the first time I looked into this, I saw a YouTube video. I watched a YouTube video on it. Not during this new 
this new set of uh, research that we did. But when I first heard about it, I was looked into a research or looked at YouTube to research That's it. And... No way. <laughs> I know. So listeners, I'm going to spell this name out for you and, and then see if you could figure out how this is pronounced Chumley. It's spelled C-H-O-L-M-O-N-D-E-L-E-Y. It looks like it should be pronounced Chomondele. Yeah, there's got to be some more syllables in there. I... <laughs> it's chum. It's Chumley. Chumley. <laughs> no. Yes. No. No. It's I not. Want to do some independent research? On... <laughs> I don't even know how I was saying it in my mind. I think I was just sort of like didn't even try to pronounce it in my mind. Yeah. Well, when before I I I figured out the Chumley thing, it was I was yeah I was like. Do with a long ass last name. Yeah. Chom Chamondele. Damn, huh? <laughs> what do you know? But it's like I think it's one of those things like, you know, Wush Wooster, like oh. Wooster is spelled Wushtashestashire, basically. Yeah. Like it looks like it should be pronounced that way. This is like that. Man, I had no idea. So anyway, this dude Chumley basically came up with an idea um that is the that became the main um, the main plan for Operation Mincemeat. This idea was find a dead body, stash, make it, dress it up to look like a, a military officer, stash some letters and official military correspondence in it that indicates that the main strike point is going to be in Greece, and then have put the dead body out where the German intelligence will eventually find it, They'll pass that on to the commanding officers. They'll think it's, oh, look, more evidence that it's going to be the Balkans. Let's move our troops to the Balkans. Meanwhile, the Allies sneak into Sicily. Bada big, bada bop, bada boat. World War II is, is won for the Allies. <laughs> World War II over. Yes, game over. <laughs> game over, man. Game over. So... So Chumley came up with this plan, and he submitted it to uh, British intelligence, and they said, uh, you know, it's a little, it's a little, um, it's a, it's, it's it has a nugget of an idea, um, but it needs, it needs work, and so they partnered him with another British intelligence guy, um, this guy Ewan Montague. And Ewan Montague was a lawyer before he became. Um, get join the army and he worked with um uh just british british intelligence as well they were both in british intelligence military intelligence uh uh adjuncts basically um chum looks like chumley was in the royal air force and montague was in the navy the royal navy but they were both affiliated with intelligence operations so together they basically came up with with what became the uh, Operation Mincemeat, right? Right. Um, which was essentially, you know, they, they actually didn't change the plan that much. Um, it was just in the details um, of the plan that, that they collaborated and they worked with, you know, other military people. Like, they, they consulted with a doctor. Like, okay, if we... The, the plan was initially to stash or to to, to have a body wash up from the sea to the coast of somewhere that the Germans had control or nominal control of. 
and then you know this body would be identified as British military, and it would be, of course, examined for any documents that could help the the Germans, right? Right. So, um, so that was clear. So they first consulted with a doctor in the British um, Navy, who basically said, you know, one of the key things is so if you get a dead body, you have it in the water, people are going to assume it's drowned. So there'll be water in the lungs and you can't, you need to be careful about what you do with the body before you put it in the water to make sure, because a dead body obviously isn't going to be breathing in well, seawater. And it was interesting for me at this point, like the level <laughs> of concern, like th- these guys are really top notch. Like, Oh yeah. That, that was like, they started coming up with everything. It's like, oh yeah, that makes sense too. But they had, yeah, they had to count for like every little detail of this. And um, well, I'm looking it up. Why don't Why don't you tell me about or tell the listeners about the um, the body that they found? This, yeah, this even guy. The, that's what I was about to say next. Like even the body itself. Like they were so concerned that it would look believable as a as a military person for the for the title that they had assigned mm-hmm. to this fictional <laughs> to this to this fictional military like uh to this military man and he was like well I don't know if people use that term anymore a tramp <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to look it up. I wanted to see the the <laughs> definition of tramp. But um uh, died by eating rat poison <laughs> um yeah so the body they they the body they wound up sourcing because the issue that they ran into even though there's yes there's tons of bodies in a war however every body needs to be accounted for yeah they you can't just take any body but this is a body that was they needed an unclaimed body that i forget that had to be you know it had to be fairly fresh um right and it sort of just fit you know, fit the look of a military person. This body did everything except for fit the look, but they gave him a title yeah. that it made it made him more of a desk person. But the title right. would signify that he also would have access to these this level of information. Like it was, it was so mm-hmm. that part was so fascinating. So like, yeah, I forget how they described his body, but it was sort of like emaciated. Which, I mean, you're in the right. war, so it's not going to be, like, super strong anyway, but they yeah, so they, that by that. They had to, yeah, they had to find a body. Like, you can't just use any body, because, like, if the body makes it back to Britain, the family's going to want it and to bury it. Um, if it if they can't transport it back, then, you know, it's it'll be accounted for still, because they know what troops are, say, you know, fighting in, you know... Tangiers or whatever, someone dies. Okay, there's a record. We can't just use that body. That's a person. Like they, it was interesting throughout all of this. Like how respectful they were. And like they, the time they actually, they were very respectful with, with the body, yeah. even though they they said like some like kind of disrespectful, like backhanded compliments. But and, yeah, and the writings. So the, well, so the person that they did wind up using, <laughs> they yeah, so they did officially describe as a tramp. <laughs> uh, they weren't super respectful to him. Uh, although I considering like, yeah, you're right. Like there was disdain evident in the way they described him, but they did, they did say like, you know, this is 
in in service of this operation is probably the best thing this guy's ever done which okay that's not a that's not a compliment no um <laughs> not at all i think eventually so let's talk about this guy his name he was a homeless person who died after eating uh rat poison that he th- that apparently looked like it was set around this warehouse it was a type of poison that was spreadable so it was spread on like a cracker and it was it was thrown around this warehouse that he was i guess living in and he ate ate some of it and it contained phosphorus yeah man that's like and it's a dark point in your life where you're just eating crackers on the from the ground that are like have some kind of spread on them yeah, like, yeah i'll say like, damn man <laughs> that's like um, he was you know what yeah, like he and let's let's see the guy's name. Every time he ate something, he was like, "Well, yeah." Let, let's put the guy's name out there on, too, because we don't. We I don't want to disrespect this guy. Be respectful. Did you find? I have it written down. It's his name is. It's a Welsh name, so the first name is uh, Glendwer. Oh yeah. Uh, last name is Michael. So Glendwer Michael, um, a Welshman who they were able to later. Like we'll get we'll get into the story, tracking down his identity later. Um. But essentially, they found him. They found this body, or or someone, his body was found, and someone knew that British intelligence was looking for bodies like this. So, his name was added to a list of, of potential candidates, and he was eventually chosen. Um, as you mentioned, yes, he was emaciated, um, but his corpse was and his corpse was prever- preserved in a freezer um, at a f- specific temperature to where they so only it would only work. Yeah, they couldn't actually freeze it because anyone examining it would know, oh, this has been in a freezer. Oh, this is a fake thing. What the fuck is this? No, it had to be kept at a very specific temperature that it could only be kept at for like three months. So they found him. He looked emaciated, but he look, apparently still looked like he could have an office job in the military, right. which <laughs> I don't know what this says about British <laughs> office workers. Uh, I yeah, I don't know if that's. I mean, an emaciated homeless person who's eating, who's at the level where he's eating, you know, spread off of a cracker thrown around a warehouse. Like, you gotta assume he's, he's looking pretty rough. Yeah. But anyway, You're eating crackers. So, yeah, crack maybe, maybe graham crackers. Maybe um, I was gonna say what? Oh God, Teddy Grahams. God, see now that Teddy Grahams. That is a little disrespectful. They don't have Teddy Grahams back then. <laughs> they didn't even have them back then either. So, um, so once they identified this corpse, all right, we're using Glendwer, um, and the plan was to load him up, load his body up in military garb, but then also put stuff in his pockets, uh, in like his jacket and pants pockets that would sort of build out a real life for this guy, like a, a made up life that intelligence concocted so that, you know, if the, it's the Germans or eventually the Spanish uh, who found him and, and examine him, they'll, they'll believe that this guy was actually um, a military member. And so what they, they included, um, what was it? Like there was a letter from his, what was supposed to be his father there yeah. was a photo of his girlfriend, which was actually a picture of someone who worked uh, in the naval intelligence Some office worker. Office yeah. worker. They, they had, had receipts for an engagement ring. Yes, receipts for a fifty-pound engagement ring. 
had like lodging receipts and like a playbill. Basically, they set everything out. Like you could have tracked where he was from this date to that date. I remember exactly. They had like lodging, some maybe a food. They had something. Um, some bill collector was looking for him. He yeah. owed some money. <laughs> that was apparently that, that. that was interesting because yes, they had a receipt for an engagement ring that was fifty pounds, and then a bill collector. I think it might have been Lloyd's of London. I that had sent him like a threatening letter that he had uh, he had overdrafted his account by like seventy pounds. Yeah, that was the overdraft, <laughs> overdraft free notice in there. It's like, damn, we're fighting a war for like humanity's survival. Like, really, seventy pound overdraft? You're on my ass about this. <laughs> and what did they say about the letter from his dad? Like, it was strict and pompous or stern. It was, and pompous, yeah, it was. But... I think they said it was really. Yeah, it was strict and like pedantic. Yeah, <laughs> it's like his dad criticizing him. Maybe over the choice of of girlfriend he's gonna marry. I, you know, I don't know. Maybe over his like poor financial decisions. You know, you can't manage your money. <laughs> if you can't even manage your accounts, how are you gonna manage a wife, a wife and a child? Come on. Uh, yeah, man, th- that that was that was interesting. But the level of detail that they yeah. went into creating the life for this person. Yeah. They, and they named him, I believe it was major William Martin was his assumed yeah. name. They even had an I, a photo ID card where they apparently tried to take photographs of him, like the, the actual corpse, which seemed odd. Cause how do you prop his eyes open? Yeah. Um, but he looked like a dead body. So he did look a lot like a dead body. They're too much like a dead body. So they couldn't use that. Um, so they then found someone on the staff who had roughly his build and, uh, and his facial features and they photographed him and just used his picture, uh, in the, in the identification. And most importantly, they had a briefcase that they attached to his wrist via like a, like a chain. Um, Mm -hmm. and the briefcase contained, uh, I believe three letters, um, that were the the most important materials the letters being from i guess i guess this guy was supposed to be a courier for these letters which is why he had the briefcase with the chain and so the letters were from one general to another or sorry one i think one admiral to another and i want to read this i want to read the key part of this letter because it is it is excerpted in the uh in the uh Wikipedia article. So, okay, yes. Yeah, so, is from uh, Lieutenant Ge- Lieutenant General Archibald Nye uh, to General Sir Howard Harold Alexander, and this is the key part because again, this is supposed to be like the Germans come across this and they've like, oh, what a scoop! We found this courier who is delivering this message between generals, and it's about where they're going to launch the next assault. What a coup! Let's report yeah. this to the high to the high it's command. Too- it looks to be the Balkan. So I'm going to read this verbatim. Uh, we have recent information that the Germans have been reinforcing, reinforcing and strengthening their defenses in Greece and Crete. And the chief uh, of the Imperial General Staff felt that our forces for the assault were insufficient. It was agreed by the chiefs of staff that the 5th Division should be reinforced by one brigade group for the assault on the beach south of Cape Araxos, and that a similar reinforcement should be made for the 56th Division at Kalamata. 
Um, and I looked it up. Cape Araxos and Kalamata are both in Greece. They're in southern Greece. Um, so yeah, that was it. And so they, they also uh, included a letter of introduction so that that this guy is, you know, the fake William Martin. His boss would have written for him to introduce him to the person he's delivering the, the message to. Um, just for more verification, just to make it seem like a real yeah, like it was it was so so detailed everything about it, like and the yeah. way they had him holding the briefcase, they attached that they even attached it to his waist and his trench coat, yeah. like shit. Was, yeah, that, it was in, it was incredible the level of like the amount of thought and effort that went into this. Oh. Yeah, and you have to imagine back back then too, like everything is done all these decisions are done by, I guess, Morse code wire. And, but just, I'm just thinking about the legwork of like how long it would take. Okay. You put out feelers. Okay. We need dead bodies to the local morgues around London. So like, how long does that take? That's like a week. It could take a week before the message gets to yeah, the right they, people. I don't remember. Was there a timeline on this? Like start- there, there's a rough timeline. It, it basically is starts in sort of March, April is when the planning started and then the execution was in late may of the actual operation like delivering the body to to the sea um but we'll get to that uh and then again this is 1943 so yeah the overall timeline is only like six months for the whole thing um so anyway so yeah so they they dressed up the, the body then the plan was the the next part was to choose where to because the, the plan was always to drop it in the water and I believe they actually injected his lungs with something that to mimic the effects of seawater. Yeah, um, they did. And then on, uh, I don't think they did. So they had to decide where to do it. They had to decide where to do it. They, they were, were considering that people were going to look at it because of the Spaniards, Roman Catholic, like heavy Roman Catholic nature. They're like, I don't even know if they're going to like really even look at the body. Yeah, there was. Yeah, they they noted that the Spaniards might not, I think might not uh, autopsy the body because, you know, this found body, well, it should be consecrated and and given to the earth or or what have you. Um, And, uh, oh, I should back up and say like that they knew the reason that they thought that the documents might be example or examined by the Germans was because there had been a couple other cases in like 1941, 42, where they knew that they they had actually tried similar things before. Like they, I think there was like a like they came across a, an explode like a um, a true like a troop move. Oh God, <laughs> they came across. <laughs> let me pause. Take a breath. They came across essentially a jeep full of person army personnel that had been exploded and burnt out, and they quickly put like some um, like a map in the pocket of one of the people like they burned the map put it in his pocket and then the germans did later come across it found the map and like like this this sort oh, of operation that was the happened. mine map and then the, the tanks got stuck in the muck yeah, yeah. yep yep so they yes yeah, so they put a map with i don't know maybe some x's or like we're going here <laughs> like on the map and that we're led the germans <laughs> it did lead the germans into like an area that like got their tank their tanks stuck like that happened a year before mincemeat um, but then there was another case where um, they tried to do basically the same thing. I think they threw a body out of a plane or something, and 
they stuffed it with like you know misleading docs and the spaniards actually just returned it the body to england without looking at it mm-hmm. and the reason sorry there was a key way they could determine whether or not um the documents would be looked at and that was <laughs> in the the um, envelope with the key letter between the generals they actually put in with it an eyelash they took someone's eyelash put it in the envelope the thought being that if the Germans open it, remove it, they probably won't notice an eyelash coming out with it, and they won't think to replace it because they won't even notice it. Yeah, that was amazing. <laughs> yeah, like again, like the attention to detail is incredible. I still um, we haven't got there yet, but I have questions about how they opened it. I'm, I didn't really understand that explanation. Oh yeah, well let's yeah let's let's get to that. So uh, we can jump ahead a little bit because. It is dry. We're, I mean, the thing is, like, this is so, it's such an amazing story that the details are amazing. But um, anyway, moving on. So the plan was they decided to do it off the southern shore of Spain um, in a city called, I think, Huelva or. Yeah. Huelva <clears throat> I think and that's so the pronunciation. That sounds good. They, for whatever reason, they decided they could, they weren't going to be able to, if they just dropped it from a plane, it wasn't going to look right or whatever. So they had to sort of insert it into the sea from a submarine. And so they basically got like this custom made casket that was filled with dry ice to hold him um, to preserve the body as it was delivered to the submarine. They put it on the submarine. They didn't tell like only the commanding officers on the sub knew the, the plan, like none of the other um, seamen on the submarine did. They got to this point just off the coast, coast of um, Spain they sent all the seamen down to their quarters and only a couple commanding officers hoisted it up um, a- after they submerged um, or wait, no submerged is going underwater. Right. So right. when they remerged, <laughs> uh, when they upmerged, I think is the technical term. Hmm. <laughs> they, um, they uh, only a couple officers, they, they basically rolled the, the body into the sea. They then filled up the casket with some other junk because they still had to maintain the cover story, which I believe that it was like some top secret, um, like weather tracker. Yeah, that was it. And they had to <laughs> then device. carry that to a different part of the, the the shore and then send that off afloat. So that, like, if any crewmen were suspicious, like they would be like, "Oh yeah, no, we put it off over here." Like, if there were any spies amongst the crew, or if they're just crewmen who just talk too much, you know, you always have to factor that in, I guess. Yeah, chatterboxes. Yeah, chatty patties. So goes it washes ashore, washes ashore as planned. Some, uh, I think, Spanish fishermen find it. Uh, they notify the authorities. The body sort of goes up the chain of Spanish military, and they have to decide what to do with it. Now, Spain was ostensibly neutral at this point in the war. But really, they were working with, they were coordinating with German uh, intelligence. And the English, the British allies knew this, and this was a key part of their plan. Um, and so there was some, like, they notified, I think this is a cool part too, because they notified the English, hey, we have this body. And the Brits set, sent communications amongst themselves, encrypted communications, saying basically, oh shit, they found this particular guy with the document, the key documents. Yeah. 
That was pretty but they too. And they encrypted it, but they knew that the Germans had cracked the code. And so the, they intentionally did that to highlight the importance of this body and his documents so that the Germans were reading it. Okay, now the Germans are going to pressure the Spanish to you know give us the briefcase and whatever else. Right. And that's now exactly really what happened. Want it. Yeah. Um, so the Germans show up. And or no, actually, actually, I think this operation was still handled by the Spanish. So, what you mentioned, essentially, they have to open the letters without um, revealing, like surreptitiously, so it, it doesn't look like they've been opened. Because they do eventually know that they have to give it back to the Brits. Because if the Brits know that they just give the stuff to the Germans, then any of the intel in it is useless because the Germans have it, right? So. Yes, the, in the Wikipedia article, the way they described how they opened, or, or they, how they pulled the env- they basically pulled the env- the letter in the envelope out of the envelope without opening the envelope, right? Yeah, is that your read? That's that's how I how I got it, and I, I still don't like fully understand it. But yeah, but they got it out and in without opening the envelope. Yeah, and the way they described it involved like wrapping it around a cylinder. Yeah, like coiling it around some cylinder and sliding it out. And then sliding the letter out and then using that method to slide it back in, which that sounds crazy. Like I I I mean, clearly it worked, but I yeah, I was trying to they don't have any images in this article. There are some great photos in this article including of the dead body, um the two guys Montague and, and Chumley. Um, but there's no photo of, of of the actual letter or you know how the, this pro this process is seems pretty amazing, but it, especially it does, for 1943. Yeah. And then they what else? They did something else. They made it wet again, right, to make it seem like they hadn't dried out the letter. So then they like re yeah. re wet it and put it back. In. <laughs> like everybody, yeah. everybody is doing like the most <laughs> in this story. <laughs> <laughs> they really are because yeah, like that's another detail point like the brits chose a very specific type of ink that would still be legible after being in the water for an extended period of time and like yeah the spanish who found it after they read the letter they put it back into like a bin of seawater yeah before they put it back <laughs> no, in the envelope let them, let them and apparently read it apparently when it when that eventually got back to the british that letter was still wet yeah that's like, I mean, it's crazy, but, but in any case, yes. Yeah, so, so the Spanish, they took it out by this bizarre method, the <laughs> coils and whatever, like heat lamps and hair dryers. Um, they took photos of it, of the contents of the letter, and they sent those photos off to German intelligence. And then they put the letters back. They put everything back as it was, except they did not notice the eyelash. The eyelash came out, so that gets, the the briefcase, the body gets back to England. Oh no, sorry, the body didn't get back to England. Uh, for, I, I'm not clear why, but the Spanish just buried it there. They buried it in Spain. They say with full military honors. I guess the the Brits gave them authorization to do that. I assume. Um, and I guess that makes sense because if they had to go to all this trouble to come up with this really elaborate coffin to preserve the body to get down to the submarine their technology probably wasn't there to just transport a body from spain oh, back to london true. so anyway they buried the body but they sent the briefcase back with all the stuff in it 
and the Brits opened the briefcase. They opened the envelope. They saw, okay, no eyelash, so they definitely opened it. And apparently, they they even analyzed the fibers in the paper so intricately that they could tell that it had been folded more than once. (laughs) Did you catch that? I missed that. But now, you know what? Now I'm thinking, like, they're doing all this 1942. Imagine what the hell they can do right now. (laughs) Oh, God. I don't want to imagine what they can do right now, (laughs) quite frankly. (laughs) But yeah, yeah, like they had the analytical ability to tell that, okay, when a piece, so a letter was folded once, then put in an envelope, if it's opened and then refolded, there's a certain level of like, you know, da- damage, not really damage to the, to the paper, but there's a little bit more, but they can tell that little bit more to say, okay, this has been folded twice. That's so insane. Um, so ridiculous so the brits i think the brits then sent another message through this again this encrypted um this this means of encryption that they knew the germans had access to where they said okay basically okay we're all good now we got the stuff back and it doesn't look like anybody opened it essentially so the germans sitting over there they're like aha these stupid brits they don't know what they're doing the dead bodies flying all over the swimming all over the sea with very important info. <laughs> They're clearly going to attack the, through Greece, from North Africa, through Greece. So let's actually, and they actually moved their troops, like a big contingent of their troops from Sicily. They, they were already staffed up in, or, or stocked up in, on troops in Sicily, moved a bunch of them over to Greece to defend that for the coming invasion, what they thought would be the coming invasion. And in fact, when the Allies did eventually attack through Sicily, the German high command thought that that was just a feint, that they're, okay, yes, they're, oh, yes, of course they're going to send some troops through Sicily, but they, that's just a distraction to get us away from the Balkans. No, 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 we got to stay here in the Balkans. And then meanwhile, um, the Allies were able to take over Sicily uh, a lot easier than expected. And actually, I want to read this part uh, from the article. It's a bit long, but... Um, it's worth it. Um, buh, 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 buh. Uh, why don't you vamp a little bit while I find this? You should do hello, what? hello. Yeah, just just talk oh, a little bit. Yeah, I thought like, while I'm looking this up. What was interesting was every time they mentioned Hitler, it was just about like his obsessive nature with something, or like <laughs> it's just his is this like purely emotional strategy like at one point i think they said he didn't send more troops because he didn't like the german troops being next to the italian troops like, oh yeah it's like this, this fucking guy yeah. like he thought they were too much like basically like ragamuffins <laughs> compared to the german troops yeah like this this fucking guy yeah no respect for them and and it, actually as it happens while the Sicilian invasion was happening while while the Allies were invading Sicily. Um, things like got so bad. Like Mussolini was called to the who was a dictator at the time, but apparently the king still had ultimate authority, and he basically um, fired Mussolini from from being dictator. Yeah, I had no idea that through. happened either. That was like, there were so. And then and then accident. they they started and then they started negotiations with the Allies shortly thereafter. Uh, Italy did. 
Italy, Italian intelligence started negotiations with the Allies to like you know start winding down the war. But this is the paragraph that that I wanted to read. Um, but, 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 yeah, so the I'm going to read this whole paragraph. This is from Wikipedia. Uh, it says, The military historian John Latimer observes that the relative ease with which the Allies captured Sicily was not entirely because of mincemeat or the wider deception of Operation Barclay. That was sort of a um, uh, wider um, deception operation. Like mincemeat was one operation within the larger Operation Barclay. Uh, continuing, uh, Latimer identifies other factors, including Hitler's distrust of the Italians and his unwillingness to risk German troops alongside Italian troops who may have been on the point of a general surrender. However, the military historian Michael Howard, while describing mincemeat as perhaps the most successful single deception operation of the entire war, <laughs> he said he considered mincemeat and Barclays to have less uh, impact on the course of the Sicily campaign than Hitler's congenital obsession with the Balkans. Uh, McIntyre writes that the exact, the exact impact of mincemeat is impossible to calculate. Although the British had expected 10,000 killed or wounded in the first week of fighting, only a seventh of that number uh, became casualties. The Navy expected 300 ships would be sunk in action, but they lost only 12. The predicted 90-day campaign was over in 38. So, yeah, things went pretty well in Sicily. Yeah. And I guess you can't attribute all of, of course you can't attribute all of it to Operation Mincemeat, but it had to have an impact, right? Absolutely. Like, they expected 300 ships to be lost, and they only lost 12? Like, 90 days down to 38 days? Like... Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, so that's, I mean, you know, the historians have varying takes on it, but this guy called it the, the, most, the most successful deception operation in the whole war. Um. Oh, in one point, sorry. I this is, so this is essentially it. But I there's a couple tidying up points I wanted to mention. Yeah. Um. One is like one thing I went. I had to. So I read this article before we recorded, and I I went back and reread most of it because I was like, okay, so this body is in the water. It's found. He's a military guy. But when the Germans come learn about it, aren't they going to try to track down what? what plane crashed or what happened like uh. who is this guy from like what what up like what boat was this guy from that he's in the water what plane crashed and right. if and they are not able to track down a specific incident are isn't that going to be an issue for the overall plot and i was able to find it was addressed in like a very like a couple sentences um but essentially the way i guess i guess they didn't need to get into that level of specific specificity basically because they put this guy william martin they put his name in the times of london which in the normal lists of troops that had died which i i believe was a standard thing every day they would report the names of the troops that had died so this guy's name was in there and coincidentally um two other officers two real officers had died in a plane crash in that same area and also um some famous actor from that that era also died in a separate plane crash so i guess the thought was that the germans would just link those two events and they didn't really need to know you know flight 187 out of you know corsica uh -huh. crashed and this guy was on it um so um that's but that's just a, a, a nit like a little i don't know just a little nit nitpick thing there but uh, yeah it didn't matter yeah 
So, yeah, I mean, that's basically, do you have any, I mean, there's, I want to talk about the movie a little bit, but um, is there anything else you think we missed about um, the operation? Not, nothing big. I don't, I don't think so. Just more funny details. Like the ID card was interesting too, because it couldn't be a brand new one. So they had to make it a, on the card. They had to say it was a reissued card for a lost ID card. And then exactly. one of the guys was just constantly like beating it up to make it look more worn out for like a, yeah, a month they before said that, the mission. Like, <laughs> yeah, he said he had to like rough it up for weeks yeah. before the it was placed in the body. Yeah, man. I mean, again, like the level and like these guys, like Montague and Chumley, like they, I, I should look it up. I'm not going to right now, but I'm sure they were only in their like 30s, like mid 30s, mid maybe mid to early 30s when when they were doing this yeah i'm sure it's just crazy to think the level of like accomplishment i mean i'm sure there's like 30 year olds in in our current you know militaries all around the world that are that are this accomplished but like the intri- the level of intricacy and planning in this particular operation uh was incredible to to as a layperson when it comes to military matters like like ourselves you know this seems like incredible and it's you know it, it, it was in service for the allied cause it seems to have you know been a you know drop in the bucket that led to right. the downfall of of the axis and you know totally down with that um but yeah it's crazy so continuing on for just i guess the aftermath um there was an effort to track like the the public so okay so to back up after the war was won, um, the public was made aware of Operation Mincemeat um, through the, a couple different means. One was um, apparently a guy in Parliament uh, who goes by the name Duff Cooper. His name is Alfred Duff Cooper, oh, who was a politician uh, during the war who was briefed on the details of this. He um, wrote a book about it. Sorry, he he reported on on Operation Mincemeat, um, and I'm trying to get the details of how he reported it. Um, he was a you know sort of a generally well respected politician during the time, um, but he I, I, okay I'm, I'm not gonna be able to find the details, but he reported on it. Or the story went out, and and this was in 1950 or or, or so around there um and so you know it caused a bit of a stir because i think people were like what is this body who who did you use like yes it's good to yeah, help but again they were concerned right. like this there's a potential level of disrespect to like you can't have it military just using bodies for this sort of thing willy-nilly and so the cover story that montague put out there uh initial i think the initial cover story wait sorry <sighs> Let me let me get this right. Hold on, vamp, vamp for a little bit. You've got this. Um, shouldn't be related to this. Can I get crazy? any other details that that struck you? Um, no other details that I really remember that struck me as anything like the the Balkans. I remember them being very important just for their um quantity of raw materials that they were used right. for, for everything for war it was like bauxite and some other some other stuff but mm, that was yeah, bauxite. why people were so were so into it as well and also it was helping them control like supplies and shipping 
throughout the Mediterranean. That was another reason that taking yeah. over Sicily was going to be so advantageous for the apparently. You should note that there was there was uh, this this did heavily negatively impact the Greek resistance operation, um, which apparently was a guerrilla movement against the Axis powers. But because the Axis, the Germans, you know, amassed more and more troops in Greece, anticipating the Allies to attack, the Greek resistance movement was was basically massacred and and, and decimated. Um, around this time um it was a huge impact on them so anyway i found i found this portion so so i'm going to go back to duff cooper um so duff cooper a former cabinet cabinet minister who had been briefed on the operation uh in march of 1943 so he was he knew about it when it was going on he published a spy novel called operation heartbreak in 1950 where he he the details of it were very similar to the real details of Operation Mincemeat. He um, changed a, a name slightly, um, so the British security services became concerned, and they decided the best response was to publish the story of Operation Mincemeat. So they had Montague write a book called The Man Who Never Was, uh, oh, which apparently okay. sold two million copies and became a film in 1956. So three years later. Um, and the, I looked into the film. The film did pretty well, um, and it changed some of the details of the story. Now, I, the, this is where I'm going to get into the personal business. I'm going to get a little bit more visceral on this this story. <laughs> Duff Duff Cooper, the guy who initially told like the art, released an article or or no, sorry, a novel novelization of these events. He was going buck wild in his personal life. Really. Yes, I was looking up the personal life section of his Wikipedia, and he married someone in 1919. Um, her family was opposed to it was Lady Diana Manners, <laughs> such a British name. Diana, Diana Manners. Manners. Mm. She was officially the daughter of the eighth Duke of Rutland, um, and apparently he had numerous affairs that she tolerated. And then there's oh. a list of his affairs. And they include uh, American, the singer sewing machine heiress, Daisy Fellows, socialite Gloria Guinness, French novelist Louise Levesque de, de Villemorin, and the writer Susan Alsop, um, who was then a diplomat's wife. And he had a son with, an illegitimate son with her. Oh, okay. And then that guy, that son, later followed Samuel Patton, um, who... Oh boy. <laughs> okay, he's involved with the FBI. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, some modern day stuff with him that I just saw that I'm not going to talk about on this podcast. But yeah, so this guy was out there. Um, and then, yeah, I don't know, check, check, check this guy's this guy's Wikipedia. But apparently, it says although Lady Diana reportedly did not mind and loved him despite the affairs. Uh, yeah, she explained to their son that they were the flowers, but I was the tree. So she's uh, oh, okay. internalized um, patriarchy there. Sense. So anyway, there's that. The other funny thing I thought, so this guy, Ewan Montague, who who ran the program or who, who again, this guy Chumley came up with the initial idea and Montague worked with him to build it out into what became Operation Mincemeat. 
But Montague's the guy who wrote the movie, uh, The Man Who Wasn't There. And apparently in the movie, it's you and Montague who came up with the whole idea. And the other guy was his assistant. <laughs> Just helped him do stuff. <laughs> That's so good. That's and so the movie, good. yeah, the book is based on the movie. He helped write the screenplay for the movie, too. <laughs> so took all the credit for it. And in fact, Chumley doesn't even have his own Wikipedia page. Montague does. Oh, man. <laughs> Chumley, they're trying to erase him. <laughs> oh, man. Taking all the credit. Damn. Don't you love that when someone's like, yeah, it was my idea from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Like, I can see he's like talking to like book, like book publishers and Hollywood movie producers. And they're like, yeah, so who is this guy? Uh, Tremondele? Oh, oh, yeah. Chumley. Chumley. No, no, no. He... He was like an he was like an assistant, more of an assistant role. <laughs> it was yeah, more of like an, my assistant, you know. He yeah, he couldn't have done he, it without me. He couldn't have, he, and he, he would tell you that. Mm. <laughs> he was good. You say he was good at making tea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, like a cat. <laughs> like a cat. Here we go. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that, that's, that's Operation Mincemeat listeners, uh, write in, or just read, read up on it. Um, it's, it's, cause we have, like, we've covered probably like 60% of it, included all the main stuff, but there's still a lot more detail out there that, that's, well, just on the Wikipedia page, it's, it's worth looking into. Um. Definitely look, wow, definitely <laughs> worth looking into. Yes. Okay. Both of us have lost the ability to speak. <laughs> That's yeah. That's because we're recording this in the evening instead of our usual morning time when we're a little sharper. Yes, we were nice and fresh, and like <laughs> we've had a whole day's worth of activities. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, let's let's wrap up. Uh, any closing thoughts? Um, eat something green. Eat something you green, know, drink eat enough water. Green. That's right. Stay hydrated. Eat some yeah, mangoes. It, yeah, man- mango, fresh juice. It's better to eat it as fruit because there's more fiber. But if you don't like that, that's juice right. juice is also okay fiber in you stay regular 